Welcome to the Enterprise Excellence Podcast, where our purpose is to help create a better future. Learn from our world's experts how to improve your organisation sustainably. Learn how to achieve and sustain an excellence journey for yourself, others and the planet. I'm your host, Brad Jennings, coming to you from Brisbane, Australia. Welcome to Episode 12 of the Enterprise Excellence Podcast. Today we'll be exploring excellence in education. I'm so pleased to have with me today Dr. Lynn Bishop. Lynn has held many positions in education, working in public schools, the Department of Education, and also forming her own school, Sheldon College, in 1997. Lynn has received an Order of Australia for her work in education. She has won the Queensland and Australian Entrepreneur of the Year and is a much recognised leader and expert in the field of education. She is also a respected and much-loved principal of Sheldon College, located in the Bayside area of Brisbane, Australia. Lynn, thank you so much for joining us today to share your story and knowledge. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Brad. Okay, let's get started. So, Lynn, what's your backstory? What significant moments in your early life or throughout your life formed who you've become? Well, Brad, I guess I'd have to say that my backstory had somewhat meagre beginnings. My father walked out on us when my brother and I were very young. And as a single mother, we moved to Tambo then to live with my grandparents. Five of us lived there in a very small one-bedroom cottage. Um, My grandfather, who we called Dad, worked out in the shearing sheds during the week and came into town on Friday evenings. He was inebriated from the time he came into town until he left for the sheds again on Sunday evenings. Uh, At this stage, my mother worked incredibly hard scrubbing floors in the local hotel in order to give my brother and I a quality life. And at this stage, we had very little money and no material possessions. But I guess my mother lay the blueprint for emotional resilience in my brother and me. She experienced many bitter winters and made many sacrifices in her life to give us the opportunity to have a better life. We were always taught to think about what we had, not what we didn't have. And we were taught that in hardship you develop a capacity to appreciate the beauty that exists in the simplest elements of life. But I think the most fundamental lesson we were taught is that there's a difference in life between fate and destiny. Fate is what happens to you, destiny is what you create. And if I were to reflect on my life, I I guess it's mirrored very much by Voltaire's words, life is a pack of cards. You can't do anything about the cards you're dealt, but it's how you play these cards in the game of life that determines the outcome. And I guess in my experience, I've learned that swimming upstream is never simple, but the more one does it, the more natural it becomes. But having laid the foundations there for my backstory, I'd say I would have to be extremely grateful for the strong set of values and ethics that my mother and grandparents instilled in me. Well, Lynn, that was a a tough upbringing, but it it sounds like it really taught you resilience. It certainly did. Lynn, where did did your journey in education start? Like, how did you first get into this desire to become an educator? Well, I'd say in the first instance, my absolute passion to become a teacher, but unfortunately, repeated illness and prolonged ill to health uh, almost cost me that dream. I had a guidance officer at school who told me I'd never make it because of the amount of schooling I'd missed through ill health. And he told me that I didn't have the ability to be a teacher and that I really should choose something more within my ability range. So how do you tell that to someone who never wanted to be anything else but a teacher and who from four years of age taught the chooks in the chook house with an absolute passion? But perhaps I had that guidance officer, Brad, to thank for firing up in me the determination that I'd show him I could be anything I wanted to be. I do know that I have him to thank for ensuring that never in my career have I ever told any child they can't be something that they've set their heart upon. 
So I guess from there it was on to Teachers College, but then faced another obstacle because once again, repeated illness almost cost me my dream. I failed my medical when I first applied for teaching. And I guess that was the most severe knockout blow I'd ever received because when you set your heart upon something so desperately and it's denied, the blow is terrific. So thus began a battle, I guess, to convince the authorities that I was not a high-risk candidate for the teaching profession. So, Lynn, it, it sounds like you had many battles to overcome with health and also you could say your upbringing, you know, out Western Queensland was a tough start too. But what inspired you to keep going forward? Why did you keep pushing forward and striving forward? I guess, once again, that absolute passion for wanting to work with children and make a difference in their lives. Because when it all boils down, Brad, teaching's not a job, it's a vocation, it's a calling. And uh, throughout my career, I've had the opportunity to work firsthand with outstanding educators. You know, educators who demonstrate commitment, humaneness, enthusiasm, integrity, a fundamental love of children, and above all, excellent craftsmanship. And to me, they're the absolute essential attributes of a quality teacher. Yeah, wow. And it's, it's not an easy job, is it? There's often challenges even within the job. Oh, that's so true. <laughs> Lynn, how, how, did, how did your career evolve? Well, I guess, Brad, I had a dream run because after Teachers College, I was uh, posted then to Mount Gravatt State School where I began my teaching career and I absolutely loved it. After two years there, I was selected to teach at the Charleville School of the Air, teaching children in outback Queensland. And this was a wonderful opportunity, not only to meet the children I taught over the airwaves, but also to have the opportunity to play in a band that raised funds for the Royal Flying Doctor Service. So at that stage of my career, I got to see a lot of outback Queensland. After three years in Charleville, I was then posted back to Mount Gravatt State School. But at that stage, there was a shortage of German teachers in the secondary sector. And because I'd studied German at university, I was transferred then to Cavendish Road High School as a teacher of German. Not long after, I was then asked to consider applying for senior mistress. And at that stage, I was appointed as the youngest person to be appointed to that position at my age. From here, this next step in my career was that of applying for deputy principal. And therein began a journey of a very different type because moving up through the ranks in the teaching profession was not an easy thing, particularly being a young female at the time in a male dominated profession. Becoming a deputy principal and principal was not an easy route. The glass ceiling at that time was a real barrier for women in education, but only if you saw it that way, because I came to see it as a self-imposed limitation. Because after all, Brad, no one has control over your mental attitude. It's what you think you are in life that holds you back. It's, it's, what, it's not what you think you are not. And, you know, in my career, I've had many battle scars from my experiences in the early days. Then my 32 years in Ed Queensland were absolutely wonderful. <clears throat> I rose through the ranks from classroom teacher to senior mistress to deputy to principal to deputy executive director of Metropolitan East Region and then into central office as um, acting director of quality assurance. But little did I know that ironically, unknown to me at the time, the promotional trail was also leading me out of the profession I loved so much. Every promotion took me further and further away from children. And my love of children is the reason I came into education in the first instance. But I guess the major issue for me at this stage of my career was that there was a clash of my personal values with those of the organisation's values. And when this misalignment occurs, you have no choice. The decision becomes very simple. You know, when you can no longer walk the talk and believe fundamentally in what you're doing, you have to go. You have to do that, I guess, to preserve your own integrity. Otherwise, you begin to live a lie. 
So it was at that stage that I decided to leave the Department of Education and set up my own school, one where I felt I'd have control over the variables. And uh, it was a huge decision at that stage to open my own school against the odds because I was moving into a highly competitive arena of private education and had no experience whatsoever in the private system. So, Lynn, you that was a big career and then it accommodated in you making the choice to open your own school. That's no small step. But who, who helped you throughout that career? Who are some people that inspired you and helped you along the way and why were they important to you? I think I'd probably have to say my mother first of all because um, she was a strong woman who had to overcome significant difficulties. And, you know, she taught myself and my brother that you can be anything you want to be in this world if you put your mind to it if you're prepared to work hard and that you confront your fears head on. So she was a very, very powerful influence on me. Others who inspired me along the way were were some of the leaders I worked with and a a couple of wonderful principals who taught me a lot about the profession. And I guess the most important lesson I ever learned in my career was from a principal called Alfie Dalzell. And he called me in one day to his office and said, Lenny, you've got to learn to lose the battle, but win the war. And I've applied that many, many times in my career. So, Lynn, you, you've set up this school, Sheldon College, and you've built into that excellence in education. You know, you, you're living your passion. What were your key learnings along the way that defined what excellence in education is for you? I guess initially, Brad, I developed a gross dissatisfaction working within the educational bureaucracy because, to me, bureaucracies are driven by uniform mediocrity. And I felt that I had very little impact upon students in the classroom from where I sat in regional and central office. I also had this feeling that I had an inability to influence teachers in classroom practices from where I sat in the organisational structure. I had no room to fly in the position because I was confined completely by red tape, by policy documents, by Department of Education manuals and the like. But I guess another major frustration for me was the strict adherence to the political masters of the day. And I soon learned that politicians control the educational agenda. So walking away from Ed Queensland after 32 years to open my own school was a major decision. Um, I had no financial backing from any church, business or financiers to start a school. There was no big business anywhere prepared to back me because what investment do you get from a school? It's a not-for-profit organisation. And then there was the huge personal outlay financially for my husband and I because we needed seed funding to start Sheldon College. We had a number of demographic studies to do, some market research, viability studies, accountants' bills, solicitors' bills, the list was endless. Another major setback there was at this stage, no bank was prepared to back me financially either. And the only way they'd look at me is if I was able to find guarantors who would back the project. No business would help, so I had to get parents and friends to act as guarantors to the bank. And our own home went up as uh, collateral to the bank and was not released until many, many years later. So I guess you could say Sheldon College did not come about without significant difficulties along the way and challenges. Well, Lynn, that was a lot of sacrifice that you and your husband and people around you really put up to make this dream happen. Yes. Lynn, what what do you feel is most important in education to achieve sustainable change and improvement? What have you found really works within Sheldon College? But I think in the first instance, you have to be able to offer a quality product and or service. And in doing so, you must be able to clearly define your differential advantages. So we need to spend time thinking about, well, what are the benefits that we sell in our business? And what is the the nature of the service we provide? 
I think we also have to be efficient in the way we do business and also effective in terms of the outcomes that we produce. And as with any business, as you would know, we have to be accountable, you know, financially, academically, legislatively, quality risk compliance wise and so on. But another lesson I've learned along the way is that we need to understand that we're part of a market economy because schools today, Brad, are about competition and choice and we ignore that at our peril. If we don't provide a quality service and a product, our clients are simply going to go elsewhere. We've also got to be able to network with business and industry and develop high quality marketing and business plans that will see us realise our strategic objectives. So viability and sustainability become primary objectives in uh, an organisation such as education too. And we've got to be able to continually ask ourselves such questions as, what are the value added aspects of our business? What is it that sets us apart from others? What is it that we do better than our competitors? Where are they ahead of us? What is it we need to do to bridge the gap? Because it's my belief that we either get better at what we do or we get eliminated in this game. Because the status quo is a myth in any business today. I think we all know the status quo requires no leadership. And sticking with the status quo only guarantees you one thing. That's regression, not progression. Um, I've always believed maintaining the status quo only keeps you in the game, not ahead of the game. So the only way to stay at the top of your game is to innovate. And what's made us successful in the past is not necessarily going to make us successful in the future. So as a college or a business, we simply can't be good at what we do. We have to be great at what we do. And in this day and age, we've also got to understand that disruption is now a common way of life moving forward. We can no longer operate as we've done in the past. And what made us successful historically now may no longer be possible. So we have to consider whether we're merely going to react to the circumstances in which we find ourselves, or are we going to respond strategically? And if so, this requires that we adopt a more fast-paced, short-term, adaptive and agile mindset. Well, and you've got, within Sheldon College and the work that you do, you've got a very strong strategic and innovative approach, you know, going forward and to really sustain the school into the future. But what do you believe stops other organisations or other education bodies from having that level of agility and that level of strategic focus as a business in a way? I think, Brad, perhaps we spend too much time today playing catch up with our competitors because that's what benchmarking is all about. But I think any business today to be successful has to go beyond benchmarking and blaze the trail. And I think far too many businesses don't consider future opportunities and how they might exploit them. Um, creativity and innovation must be built into the lifeblood of the organisation. And I think far too often, too, we tend to forget that it's people who are at the heart of the educational enterprise. And organisations aren't going to work unless the people in them do. Yeah, too true, Lynn. I've heard that from so many other guests on this podcast so far, the, that connection of strategic, but then also with the people and cultural piece. Yes. What do you believe, Lynn, organisations can do to avoid the trap of missing that key component of strategic and also the people factor? Well, I think fundamentally, I'd say we need to work on, bus um, on building organisational integrity in the first instance. I've got to uh, say that regardless of the organisation we are, we have to walk the talk. We have to make it very clear and explicit that our decisions and actions are value-driven. I think we also need to make sure that our policies, our procedures and our practices align with what we say and do as an organisation. And what's stated and what espoused really have to be one and the same. I feel we need also to be spending more time encouraging each other, supporting each other, learning from one another. 
And above all, we've got to be cognizant of the, the, the role that culture plays in all of this. And I think we all know how all-encompassing culture is. I think to be successful today, we've got to be focused on playing our best game at all times. We've also got to help our employees see the connection between their everyday work and the organisation's ultimate aspirations so that work for them becomes meaningful. Um, furthermore, I think we've got to challenge the status quo. We've got to be a risk taker. And uh, as you know, it's often said, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. So focusing on continuous improvement is an essential thing. We've got to sweat the small stuff. We've got to kill the sacred cows because as we've all heard, they make good hamburgers. Um, we've got to trust our own intuition on things. And um, I think above all, we've got to remember we're not the object of change. We are the subject of change. Um, I read a quote recently that's really stuck with me in that regard. And it says, um, the future doesn't just happen to you. You also happen to the future. Yeah, too true. Too true. And that comes back to what you spoke about in your youth, where your mother instilled in you that you can create your future. You can Absolutely. make that happen. Lynn, what, what motivates you now? Like what are your current areas of focus and what really is driving you in that path? I think fundamentally to set our students up for success, regardless of the circumstances in which we currently exist. We've got to once again have them believe fundamentally that they can be anything they set their hearts upon in this world. And we want that for every child who leaves our college that they are able to achieve our student exit outcomes. Um, we want them to be self-directed learners, creative thinkers, problem solvers, to be innovators, to be effective communicators and collaborators, to be information and media literate, to be skilled in the core literacies and possessing high self-esteem. So if we can do all this, we'll provide a first-class quality education for our children. But at the same time, Brad, I think we have to provide an infrastructure that will enable them to develop those skills and knowledge and attitudes necessary to succeed in a global economy. Um, if I take it from a business point of view, it's become important to move, I think, away from a hierarchic, hierarchical structure to a more fluid ecosystem so that we can cope with the changing landscape. Um, we've got to consciously break down the organisational silos so that we can encourage greater collaboration across departments. We've got to begin to focus on them now in our organisations, not so much as silos, but as cylinders of excellence. And we're focusing on building more agile teams. And they've got to be capable of addressing the many operational requirements that we're confronting today, particularly those emanating from COVID-19. Yeah, that's impressive, Lynn. It, it's amazing how much you're applying to the school that I hear businesses applying to manufacturing sites, to banks. You know, you, it, it's really innovative and forward thinking in your regard. Lynn, what, what is your vision for the future then? What is it that just cause that you're really driving towards for the school? I think, Brad, in some respects, the future is relatively unknown because there's no playbook for COVID-19, as we all know, and the current situation is probably going to continue. So we need to be flexible and adaptive in that regard. I think organisations also have to develop strategic agility as an organisation, and this has got to be built today into our organisation's DNA. It has to be an integral part of our culture and our fundamental purpose. And schools have to work at developing those more robust ecosystems ecosystems that are based on innovation and creativity and responsiveness to changing conditions. I found here at Sheldon that we've had to undergo, um, I guess, a reboot of our culture in light of the COVID-19 experience. We've had to go back and examine our fundamental purpose. And this has um, in turn led us to have to revisit our vision 
our mission, our values, our strategic goals, our student exit outcomes, to ensure that we have complete alignment in that regard. We've also had to go back and revisit our model, our business model, the organisational structure, our systems and processes, but at the same time, remembering to remain customer focused. We've had a lot of work to do in professional development, engaging our staff in agile problem solving and ensuring you know, that they're comfortable working in a digital space as well as in the more traditional educational settings. Uh, we've also had to set reasonable expectations for our people and understand the critical nature of psychological safety in these unprecedented times. But putting all that aside, I think we have to remain completely optimistic about the future. So, Lynn, you've got that vision for the future, which is to create this agile, continuous improvement focused educational organisation, which is highly focused on the customer and has a really strong culture for that future. What challenges do you think you'll face taking that journey and how will you navigate those? I think you've summed it up perfectly, Brad, when you say, first of all, we've got to deal with rapid transformational change. Um, and as educators in particular, we've got to be able to deal with ambiguity. We need to understand also that we now live in a new reality and we have to deal with these consequences of the so-called new normal. And for us as a school, they affect such things as finances, the social aspects, the economic, the psychological implications, all of these things that have become so prevalent in our profession since the onset of this pandemic. And as things currently stand, we really can't see the end game because everything for us at present is moving at an accelerated pace. And our job then as leaders is really to future-proof the organisation. Um, I also believe this has got major implications for leadership. Uh, present circumstances have taken us well beyond our current knowledge, our resources, our capacities, and we need to be prepared for this. From a governance perspective, I guess we're going to be faced more and more with balancing liquidity and solvency. And there's also an increasing emphasis upon us now uh, particularly where risk mitigation is concerned. Um, if I take it from another level of the organisation's operations, the impact of digital transformation as a, as a disruptive force is a major challenge that we're going to have to confront. And I've found personally we, we've had to get better at examining our data and our analytics. And then, of course, the additional challenge will be that of ensuring customer centricity in our business. We need to be mindful of the changes that COVID-19 has brought about in our stakeholders. And they include our students, our parents, our community. We have multiple stakeholders in the educational setting. And I think we've got to spend more time really looking at what are their needs now? Do our staff in, and those in particular um, in the infrastructure, have we got the necessary infrastructure to meet their needs? What's the impact that this is going to have on our current operations? How are we going to plan for an unknown future? And the list goes on, Brad. We could spend an hour speaking just about those matters. It's, it sounds big, Lynn, and I, I think it's so good hearing what you're doing with the whole creating agility and continuous improvement and engaging and getting rid of the silos. It sounds like you're really delving into some key areas to create what you need for the future to evolve. Lynn, what, what advice would you give to someone just starting their journey now in this world that we're in currently? I guess I'd say first and foremost, always remember your purpose. If you're talking about an organisation in particular, well, what's the fundamental reason then that your business exists? Because once you're clear on that, you can then define your core values and uh, ascertain how they align with that purpose. And, uh, you know, in my mind, core values and core purpose become the anchors, particularly in a world of constant change. 
I think I also feel the need to remind our people that the most successful organisations are purpose-led. Um, the ability to learn, to adapt and evolve our culture, our strategy and our leadership in order to cope with a changing environment is really going to be the only true competitive advantage we have today. And I say that because all our processes and products can be copied. I think we've got to understand the critical nature that culture plays, as you said earlier, Brad. It's now the engine that drives everything that happens in an organisation each day. In other words, it's the hidden X factor in your organisation's success or failure. I think we need to spend time really looking at understanding how culture provides your organisation's identity and image, in other words, your brand. And as I said earlier, it's the DNA of your organisation, but the critical aspect is that it's unique for every organisation. I think we've got to realise too that culture becomes the engine that makes that agility possible. And agile doesn't work when the culture doesn't support its practices. Um, a positive culture is what's going to sustain us, I believe, through whatever challenges lie ahead. I guess another message I'd give is realise that teachers, uh, leaders rather, set the tone for the organisation. And everything emanates from leadership, whether it's good or bad. We all know leadership's not a title. It's the actions you take during the challenging times that count. And that's why self-awareness now has become such a critical element. I think also we've got to be on about clear and consistent communication and COVID-19 reinforced that for us, even if the news is not positive, because our parents, our community are looking for transparency. They want clarity. They want frequency of communication. Um, and probably finally, I'd say um, be a visible leader amongst your people, not a desk jockey. You've got to know your people. You've got to know something about them. You've got to be an effective role model in that regard. So keep sweating the small stuff and the bigger stuff will take care of itself. That's really neat advice, Lynn. Lynn, what, can you give an example of some of the small stuff in the school that you guys would sweat that then avoids big stuff happening? Like what's some cultural aspects that you do focus on there? I think it comes down to the fundamental basics of the organisation. What are the things we value in this school? It's about high standards in our dress and appearance, behaviour, individual scholarship and work habits. It's knowing clearly what is the vision we have for the organisation? What is our mission? Why does Sheldon College exist? And then it's aligning your values and seeing that they're practised and uh, enacted every single day. Um, once you can get those things in alignment, we're all singing from the same hymn sheet and it enables us then to be able to realise our strategic objectives far more clearly. I can see why, how you've built the school you've built, Lynn. That's very impressive advice. Lynn, what, what have you learnt recently in the last few years that you didn't know before? What's been an insight and a, and a moment for you of learning? I guess I'd have to say the need to develop, a, develop greater operational resilience. I think that the capacity to fully understand and acknowledge the capacity of the organisation to adapt rapidly to changing environments and needs. I guess another learning for me has been to truly understand the impact that disruptive trends such as technology, economic factors, social and demographic factors, political and regulatory changes and the impact that each of those has had on our business. I've also had to learn to, to develop the capacity to cope in an ambiguous and uncertain environment and particularly one where there's no real clarity around the issues. Um, this calls then into question the necessity for us as leaders to be able to develop strategic thinking skills and scenario planning. I think um, I've also had to learn that, you know, what is our real appetite for risk, particularly in these times, you know, of unpredictability and unprecedented change? Um, 
Another lesson that, that's come to me of late in these circumstances is that leading others in a crisis requires a demonstration of empathy first and foremost. It, it becomes essential to be able to determine clarity around your priorities, to be able to foster collaboration and transparency in everything you do. And the lesson learned for me is that leadership in a crisis can't be directive or controlling. Um, clear and consistent communication becomes the essential element with all of your stakeholders. And I guess if I had to sum it all up, the final lesson I've learned could best be summed up in the words of Blaine Lee. And she says, the greatest leaders are like the best conductors. They reach beyond the notes to reach the magic in the players. And I guess as leaders, that's the, uh, the task we're all charged with. That's an amazing quote. Lynn, thank you so much for your time today. Like the backstory and the journey you've had in your career and what you've developed at Sheldon College. And I can see the, the challenges and the work you've got going forward. It's impressive. And I really appreciate you sharing and providing us this knowledge and insight. It's been a pleasure, Brad. Thank you for the opportunity. Thanks, Lynn.